Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 64. We'll begin with a brief summation of chapters 8 through 11 in the book of Samuel and follow with an examination of profiles in leadership. Now, where have we heard this before? Heard what, you wonder? Heard this. Shmuel grows old and his sons Yoel and Aviah, who are judges on the circuit, quote, did not go in his ways, and they were bent on gain and took bribes and twisted justice. But this time, before some military adventure distracts folks from the matter at hand, the elders come to Shmuel at Ramah and tell him, you are old and your sons are no good. We need a king to, quote, rule us like all the nations. Either because of the criticism of his sons or the desire to be like the other nations, Shmuel is hurt and he is pissed, so he consults God, who tells him, It's not you, it's me. And then God says, If the people want a king, give them one, but tell them what else is involved with kings, namely taxes, forced conscription, more taxes, and did I mention more taxes? The people are nonplussed. They they still want a king to rule over them and to go out before them in war. So Shmuel concedes and instructs everyone to return to their homes in anticipation of the coronation. But who will become Israel's first king? Smash cut to the town of Giv'ah. Remember notorious Giv'ah, scene of that gang rape and dismemberment that led to a bloody civil war that almost destroyed the tribe of Benjamin? Well, here we are again, now at the home of Kish, a, quote, Gibor Chayil, a man of valor, a veteran who had a son named Shaul, a good man, solid in stature and temperament, and tall. It seems that Kish's donkeys have gone off, and Shaul is charged with finding them. So off Shaul goes in search of the lost donkeys with no success. So before he packs it in, his servant says there is a man of God in the nearby town. Perhaps he might have some ideas. Shaul is reluctant. He has nothing to offer the man of God as payment, but luckily the servant has a quarter shekel of silver, which would make a lovely addition to the man of God's tip jar. And as luck would have it, as Shaul comes to the town to meet the man of God, the man of God is on his way out of the town to near offer. That man of God is Shmuel, and Shmuel knows that he is meant to meet a man on the road, a Benjaminite, and that man is to be king. When they meet, they exchange pleasantries, and Shmuel also offers guidance about where Kish's donkeys have gone to, and then broaches the matter of Israel's king, to which Shaul replies, Me? I'm from the smallest family and the smallest clan and the smallest and most hated tribe in all of Israel. Shmuel is not hearing any of this. He invites Shaul to the post-near-offering feast and instructs the servant to give Shaul the best piece of meat. Shmuel eventually anoints Shaul's head with oil and declares him to be Israel's king. And to further prove that he means business, he proceeds to tell Shaul all that will happen to him in the coming hours and days, who he will meet, where his donkeys will be, and what he will do, including prophesizing with a band of roving deadhead-type prophets. And when it all happens and Shaul is back home, he speaks not a word about being crowned king. That would be left for Shmuel when he summons the nation to Mitzpeh, to reaffirm the private ceremony publicly. There, he launches into another anti-monarchist diatribe, but then proceeds to winnow from which tribe the king will come. It lands on Benjamin, then on the smallest clan, then on the smallest family. You see where this is heading? But when it's determined that Shaul, son of Kish, is the man, he is not there to accept the award. So they go searching for him and find him hiding amongst the luggage. Shmuel introduces Shaul as follows, quote, Have you seen whom the Lord has chosen? For there is none like him in all the people. But the people are not as optimistic. Some wanton rude boys scoff, quote, How will this one rescue us? 
So when chapter 11 begins with an attack on Yavesh Gilad by Nachash the Ammonite, Shaul's fledgling monarchy is put to the test. The people of Yavesh Gilad buy some time from their aggressor, agreeing to submit to whatever humiliation if no relief comes from the other tribes. Recall that we're still technically in the time of the judges, where all the tribes pull in their own direction. So the messengers go out to solicit help, and word arrives in Giv'ah, Shaul's hometown. And the people are wailing and crying because they know that no one's going to lift a finger to help. So King Shaul, meanwhile, is out with his livestock when he hears the news of the crisis unfolding in Yavesh Gilad. He grabs two oxen and tears them to bloody pieces and sends them with fast runners throughout the land with the following note. Quote, Whoever does not come out after Shaul and after Shmuel, thus will be done to his oxen. So the people muster at Bezek 300,000 northerners and 30,000 Judahite southerners, and Shaul sends word to Yavesh Gilad that tomorrow salvation will come. And when the sun rises in the following day, Shaul divides his army into three and smites the hell out of the Ammonites. Shmuel, when hearing of the victory, tells the nation to gather at Gilgal to, quote, renew here the kingship. The people arrive and near offerings are offered, and, quote, Shaul rejoiced there and all the men of Israel with him very greatly. Thus endeth the summation, and beginneth the consideration. How do we pick our leaders? What are the standards we use to see if they measure up? When I was in Israel in 1994, I had the opportunity to hear Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin speak in Jerusalem's Beit Agron. It was an informal gathering of card-carrying members of the Labour Party and... He was speaking about Israel's defense strategy in the Jordan Valley. He spoke without notes for about 45 minutes, a relatively uninspiring talk, interrupted periodically by sips from a glass of water on the lectern. What struck me about Rabin, though, as well as Ehud Olmert, whom I often saw when I was out and about running errands on Friday afternoon, as well as Bibi Netanyahu, whose downstairs neighbor I unfortunately happened to be, was how big their heads were. My God, their heads were huge, as if they were human versions of bobblehead dolls, which in the media-saturated reality, which is politics, meant that they most assuredly photographed really well and commanded serious screen inches when they went on TV. And then in 1995, Robin was assassinated, and every association, every image was suffused with an aura of the fallen martyr. The mythological Robin, obscuring the image of a man, a man often laconic, a man often brusque, who didn't know how to tie a necktie and didn't like to sing. I wondered, you know, what's Robin's position on dancing? Would he have felt comfortable making the rounds on talk shows? And how would he have played on YouTube? And then I began to think about other political leaders, you know, seminal political leaders, men who forged nations in their day, men like David Ben-Gurion and Abraham Lincoln. And I concluded, these guys could never get elected today. And not because there'd be no buyers for what they were selling, although one could definitely make the argument that postmodern Israelis are really not all that jazzed about the ingathering of the exiles or the virtue of redeeming the land through vigorous physical labor. I'm talking strictly from a superficial perspective. Ben-Gurion was this squat, pear-shaped, and balding old man with wild, unruly tufts of white hair. His Hebrew accent was strange, his voice a little tinny, at least in the recordings, and his odd appearance apparently provided the inspiration for Green Lantern's Guardians of the Universe, and I'll include a picture at thenextjew.com and on the show pages, and you can decide for yourself. And though we have many pictures of the tall, ungainly, gawky Illinoisan, 
No recordings of Abraham Lincoln's voice exist since he died about 12 years before Thomas Edison invented the phonograph. But many justifiably wondered where Daniel Day-Lewis was fudging it when he portrayed America's 16th president in the 2012 movie Lincoln. According to Civil War historian and Lincoln expert Harold Holzer, Daniel Day-Lewis was, quote, uncanny, convincing, and historically right, down to the, quote, combined Kentucky Hoosier twang and the surprisingly high-pitched voice, as well as the slump, the rounded shoulders that contemporaries noted as if Lincoln literally had the weight of the world on him. Let's have a listen. This settles the fate for all coming time. Not only of the millions now in bondage, but of unborn millions to come. Shall we stop this bleeding? An Oscar-worthy performance indeed, but would you vote for Lincoln? Would he even have been considered a viable candidate today? And, And when I say viable, I mean attractive. One of the most cited examples of the rise and triumph of the telegenic, attractive candidate is the September 1960 debate between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. Conventional wisdom about the debate is that TV viewers, folks who watched Nixon and Kennedy mix it up, thought Kennedy won, while folks who listened to the debate on the radio thought Nixon won. Nixon was pale and underweight. He had been recently hospitalized and was recovering from a knee infection. He looked sickly and sweaty. He had five o'clock shadow and he wore a gray suit. Kennedy, in stark contrast, wore blue and radiated youth, calm, and confidence. However, David Greenberg at Slate asserts that Kennedy defeated Nixon not because he looked better on TV. Even though by 1960, 88% of American households had televisions and an estimated 74 million tuned into the broadcast, there was little evidence that radio listeners thought Nixon won. Kennedy did pull ahead of Nixon in polling subsequent to the debate, but again, not because he looked better, but, Greenberg asserts, because he performed better. And even then, the debate performance came under criticism for being too substantive. Kennedy and Nixon's answers were so information-rich and so quickly exchanged, viewers had a hard time keeping up. I'll link to the piece of the next Jew, and you can have a read for yourselves. So when I think of Shmuel introducing Shaul as follows, quote, Have you seen whom the Lord has chosen, for there is none like him in all the people? I'm not exactly sure he isn't being ironic, especially since Shaul has just been dragged out from his hiding place amongst the saddle packs. I mean, how tall could he have been? How good looking? And would that really have mattered in that moment? Perhaps. But this is God's elect, and that has to mean something. So even if the introduction is inauspicious, the candidate is a serious one. And the people are duly impressed, except for the scoffers who immediately deride. But that's to be expected regardless of the context. Even more importantly, it does not foretell the people's support for Shaul, because although they hesitate to muster to fight the Ammonites, it is not because of Shaul's magnetism or lack thereof. It's because of habit. During the long period of the judges, The tribes do not pull together to face down crises, and here is where Shaul shines. He exudes and exerts authority and speaks to the people in a language they understand, violence. He tears apart some oxen and threatens to do the same to them if they don't show up for the fight, which they do. So score one for Shaul. He's off to a great start. If you liked what you heard today, tell a friend. Send them an email to say, hey, you should check out TanakhCast. 
or you could do the social media thing and like Tanakhcast at the show page on Facebook or Google+. Or you could leave a kind word in the comments section at thenextju.com. Or write a brief review at the iTunes store. Or find Tanakhcast at Stitcher Smart Radio or SoundCloud and leave a kind word there. It's a small thing, really, but it'll help me and help other people find Tanakhcast. I thank you in advance for that. And encourage you to come back and join us next week-ish for episode 65 when we continue with the book of Samuel, chapters 12 through 15.